Now I invite you to stand once more uh, as we continue our reading in Acts chapter 10. And we're going to read from verse 34 to 1118. Stand as you're able. Cornelius is eagerly waiting Peter's message and here and here it comes in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know that what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to me, looking at it closely. I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were uh, sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. It was on May 21st, 1927, uh, when Charles Lindbergh, uh, in, in, in a pilot, completed the first nonstop transatlantic transcontinental flight in history. He flew his plane from Long Island, New York, uh, all the way to Paris, France. And that was just astounding to people in that day that that, that, that could be done. You could fly a plane um, across the Atlantic from New York uh, to, to Paris. And you can imagine that there were crowds cheering this on and people just saying, what, what? I didn't know this was possible. Well, it was only about uh, 10 years, uh, 20 years uh, before you had planes whizzing across the Atlantic and passengers jumping on board uh, nearly any time when they wanted to. And, and then you, you had uh, companies that, that were doing this. Um, uh, but but and, and perhaps you today have flown across the ocean. Uh, perhaps you've made a trip out of this country and you've jumped on a plane and you probably haven't uh, thought twice about how that came to be. You probably didn't remember or, 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 or look up on your Google um, that Charles Lindbergh uh, was the one who first did that. Well, something like this phenomenon is happening in Acts 10. And of course, there's, there's an analogy I'm trying to make here. It's not perfect, but, but hear me out. That when we come to Acts chapter 10, we see the gospel going global. And uh, we, as Gentile believers, who come and worship each Sunday, who delight in the Lord Jesus Christ every day of our lives, and who drink deeply of the forgiveness and participation in his people, uh, we, we rarely think twice about how it is that we came to be included we don't think about a story in which Cornelius and his household um, was, was the first to make that big move, as it were, that big shift, and that we're now part of it. But here we see a, a, a flashback in history where God invites us to see how this first came to be. The first cross-cultural, cross-continental gospel message. And it comes to Cornelius and his household. And the message that we just can't miss is this. The gospel is for everyone. The good news of Jesus Christ is for anyone who would believe in him. And we're going to see that. Uh, the three points. The bold mission that we see in this text. The clear message that Peter preaches. And then the wide reception um, that we see in Cornelius' household. So let's look at each of these um, I told you last week that Acts chapter 10 is just too momentous, too, uh, uh, too big for us to cover in one week. And so last week we looked up to verse 23, but here we go from verse 24 all the way to 1118. And we'll see what we get through today. We'll see if next week we're in Acts chapter 10 again. It's just that kind of a pivotal passage. The gospel is for everyone. A bold mission, clear message, and a wide reception. Well, look at this bold mission that Peter's on. He's traveling to the house of a Gentile named Cornelius. And this is a big deal. We saw this last week, didn't we? In this time, in the world of, of religion and in the world of, of God's people, there was a continental divide between Jew 
and Gentile. And if you were outside of that ethnic Jewish people, if you were uncircumcised, then the very best thing that you could do is glance in and hope that someday there was a path forward for inclusion into God's people. And, and perhaps you could go all the way of becoming a Jew and being circumcised. But if you remained a Gentile, there was always just visitor status. And more than that, there was this divide um, along social lines as well. You did not go into the house of a Gentile if you were a Jew. Big no-no. The Gentiles had cooties. That's one way you could think of it, right? They're unclean. Uh, They're not the kind of people you spend time with. Um, If you do, you do it in very specific, narrow context. But you would never go into their house. Why? Because there's been pork all over their tables. There's been unclean food served up. And even if it's been sanitized and scrubbed clean a hundred times, still, you've got a big problem. uh, Because... Uh, it's an unkosher house that has not been ceremonially cleaned. And you're, you're, you're uh, coming in and becoming a guest of unclean people who eat things uh, that you would not eat uh, according to the law of Moses. So a big deal. If anyone saw Peter walking into Cornelius' house, anyone who's Jewish, I mean, Peter would be, would be brought before uh, his fellow Jews, as he kind of is later, right? And, and they would say, what are you doing? You cannot be Jewish and do this, Peter. And so I, I wonder if Peter's kind of glancing over his shoulders as he slips into the house. Peter didn't need a reminder that he's walking into a Jewish house, did he? Or a, a Gentile house. As soon as he walks in, Cornelius hits the ground and starts worshiping him. Now that's a very Gentile thing to do. I think that that's... Cornelius's pagan, uh, Greco, uh, Greek and Roman influence shaping uh, what he's doing. And he sees Peter as this messenger who's kind of a semi-divine person. And Peter has to tell him, no, no, don't do that. He has to start with the basics of uh, what God has revealed in his word. You don't bow down and worship another man. Stand up, Cornelius. I'm a man like you. So Peter is very aware of all the awkwardness of what's going on here. It's incredibly awkward. He walks into this house. There's Gentiles all around. They're all looking to him. And he's just aware at every point that what he is doing is not something that other Jews would be okay with. It's risky. And you know what he says in verse 28. He kind of appreciates this. He goes, you know that I'm not supposed to be doing this kind of clearing the air. What I'm doing is risky. What I'm doing is awkward. What I'm doing is uncomfortable. But I'm supposed to be here. I have to do this. Why? Because God has been nudging me to do it. He's been pointing me in this direction. And that's what that whole vision was about that we talked about last week with the sheet being lowered down and God saying, there is a a shift happening in the ceremonial law. And because of the fulfillment of the, of the food laws in Jesus Christ, there is no longer clean and unclean food. So you got to get over that, Peter. The second thing you have to get over, Peter, is that just as there's no longer clean and unclean food, there are no longer inherently clean and unclean people. So you can go in, you can spend time with Gentiles, you can be their guest, and you can bring the gospel to them. And Peter, those Food laws in the Old Testament, 
They were like training wheels on a bike, teaching, teaching God's people that they must not be of the world and, and be absorbed into the world. But uh, at, at, there comes a time when the training wheels come off and you learn that you've learned the, the lesson that you are to be separate from the world. And now what do you do? You, you ride forward on your bike and you go, to, you go to the people with the gospel. It's not comfortable, but it's necessary. God is calling Peter to an uncomfortable, bold, gospel-sharing, cross-cultural mission. And friends, what I want you to see right away is God is calling you to be part of his uncomfortable, cross-cultural, gospel-sharing mission. We have a message, a gospel message, that is so important, so life-changing, that it's worth awkward encounters. Have you ever noticed that talking to people about Jesus is awkward? It is. It's uncomfortable, especially when you're talking to people that are from a very different culture than you are. And you'll notice the gospel brings a culture of its own. It it, it shapes us and it informs us. And so we are different from the world. When we go to people that are... um, uh, that, that do not believe the gospel. And we, we start talking to them. Right away, we start realizing, yeah, they do things differently than me. They talk differently than me. And scripture says, you are called to be different, but you are called to bring the gospel and to let the importance of that message guide you through the awkwardness of it. You just, you, you have to embrace the awkwardness and the uncomfortability of it all. And you say, you know, this is socially awkward, but I got a gospel to tell you about. I got good news for you. Embrace the awkwardness of evangelism, friends. That's that's something I want you to see right away. But Peter does have a message. Look at this clear message that he has uh, to share with Cornelius. Here is Cornelius and his household. The place is packed out and they're just, they're like, Peter, we've been waiting for you. Tell us, what's the good news? What does God have for us to hear? And Peter starts speaking. And and I want you to see three main points that just emerge from this message. The first is this, peace with God. Peace with God. Did you see that proclaimed? In Peter's message, he says, as for the word that God sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Now, here's, here's what you need to hear with that. We need peace with God. Why? Because we are not naturally at peace with God. But as the scriptures say, we are at enmity with God. We are enemies of God. You see, if Peter just needed to go preach uh, a message of, hey, Cornelius, you're, you're all good. Don't you understand? You just... You just, uh, you're, you're fine. You just need to know you're, you're great. You're good. Then, then, then he would have said that. He also wouldn't have gone to this crazy extent to get there. This is not just some kumbaya in which, you know, Peter's gathering these Gentiles around and saying, let's just all delight in the, the general fatherhood of God. No, he's saying, we've got a problem. We've got an issue. And that issue is we're not at peace with God and we need that peace. We're alienated by God. Why? Because of sin. The rest of the scriptures um, say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That God made us to live a certain way and we, we know that in our hearts and we say, you know, God, I think I'm gonna go a different direction. 
I don't like your rules. I don't like your direction. I think I'm going to have control of my own life. And we, hide, we, we attempt to hijack that control and, and drive our life in a complete opposite direction. And do you know what that results in? Enmity with God, separation from him. So much so that our sin has left us eternally separated from the presence of God. We are not by nature forgiven and at peace with God. Here, case in point, Cornelius. He's a religious man. He prays. He hangs around church-going people. He's interested in God. In fact, you know, many Jews would spend time with Cornelius and say, wow, he's more devout than some of, some of my fellow Jews. He's, felt, he's more devout than some of the people that are included in God's people. But Cornelius, for Cornelius, that's not enough. It's not enough for him to be generally religious, a generally nice guy, generally good. It's not enough. Why? Because he's not at peace with God. And he needs the second part of the message. He needs peace with God through Jesus Christ. What does the rest of this message say? It says that the only way to that peace through God is through what Jesus Christ has done. What did God do in Jesus Christ? He sent this this glorious um, white flag, waving peace, saying there is a way back to my presence. There is a way to forgiveness, and it is through my son. What did he do? He came to die on a cross. Now, how would that bring us peace with God? How does the, the death of Jesus result in our peace? Well, the punishment for sin is death. That's what sin brings, separation from God. And that separation from God is epitomized in that separation of our souls from our bodies so that we we are reminded every time we see death looming around us that I'm going to die. And spiritually, I've already died because I've sinned against God. But Jesus comes and he steps in our place and he takes upon himself the death that our sins deserve. Jesus becomes a substitute, a sin bearer. And he does this for anyone who would believe in him. And then we don't just, he doesn't just remain dead. He rises from the dead on the third day so that there's this grand public announcement that what Jesus did works. It worked. He took the death that we deserve so that we can now have a life that he deserved. And we can, we can have that resurrection life here and now. Forgiveness of sins. That's what Peter proclaims. And he says, hey, Gentiles, guess what? This is for everyone who would believe. Everyone who would believe. Notice, Peter is getting with the program. Peter's really starting to get it. That Jesus is not just a Jewish Messiah, but what does he say in his sermon? That he is Lord of all. He is judge of the Gentiles and Jews. And on that last day, Jesus is going to stand before his father's throne and he's either going to be your judge or your savior. And the question is, are you going to look upon him and trust in what he has done and embrace him as your Lord? Or are you going to say, no, I I think I'm going to keep going in my own direction even unto the pains of hell and death forever. A clear message, a clear message for us to proclaim. This is 
The simplicity of the gospel, friends. It's not all that complicated. Peace with God through Jesus Christ for everyone who believes. Someone asked, what's the gospel? Peace with God through Jesus Christ for everyone who believes in him. And you can break it down and explain each part. Well, my question for you is, have you believed that gospel? You've heard it proclaimed week after week after week. Do you believe it? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only, as the only one who can save you, um, who can grant you that forgiveness from your sins, the guilt that, you're, that hangs over you, and grant you peace with God? Another invitation this week to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, look at what happens when Peter proclaims that message. He gets interrupted by the Holy Spirit. I love that because Peter likes to talk. Peter is a talker. He just, I mean, he gets in trouble about, this is his issue throughout the, uh, the, the Bible is he, he loves to be the first person to jump in and start talking. And God likes to, to remind him that he's the one who actually affects the change. He's the one that does the work. And so when Peter starts preaching, God interrupts him and, and he has, he's barely said a few words. And what do we hear? That, that right away, the Gentiles start, start believing and, 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 and jumping up and saying and speaking in tongues, speaking in other languages, proclaiming the gospel. And Peter has to just be absolutely amazed. I don't think, I, I, our, our text leads us to, to, to see that he didn't expect this, especially from Gentiles. He expected to proclaim the message and then I, I don't think he knew what would happen after that. But this kind of reception where even Gentiles People who barely know their ABCs of walking with God, they're the ones that suddenly say, yes, give us Jesus. That's the last thing that Jews would expect to have happen. They haven't been getting this kind of reception from their their Jewish countrymen, but they're getting it from Gentiles now. And it's like this Gentile Pentecost is happening. Remember Pentecost in Acts chapter two? It's happening again. But now it's happening with Gentiles. Two very clear things this means. First of all, a big shift has happened in the church. A big shift. Citizenship in God's people has just expanded its borders dramatically. Gentiles now have full access to citizenship in God's kingdom. Here's why that's important. I said at the beginning of this this sermon that up to this point, Gentiles could get close only up to visitor status, right? Imagine, you know, you, you go to someone's home, you, 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 you spend time in their home, but their, their things don't belong to you. Uh, their, their table is not your table. Their fridge is not your fridge. You just can't open it and access it anytime you want. You're, you're a visitor, you're always, and you always are anticipating that day when you have to walk out again. But the big shift that's happening in the church is now Gentiles are not just visitors, they're heirs. So that now God's house is their house. 
They can come into God's house and, and open up the fridge of, of his grace and, 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 and take out the benefits and delight in them. They can come and sit at the same table and they never have to worry about whether, whether they're going to get, be kicked out. Now they're in God's house. A big shift is happening. Notice, this isn't the start of a new church. This is the church expanding and opening its doors and letting more people in. Ephesians chapter 2 is all about this. Read it, read it sometime. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 19. And friends, remember, this is how you got in. Right here. This is how you, I'm looking out there. Maybe there are some Jewish believers here. Um, but if you're, if you're a Gentile, if you, if you have a long history that you look back on, and, and it is full of non-Jewish ancestry, then friends, what that means is this is when you got in. This is how you got in. Cornelius and his household believing and that citizenship expanding so that now you, down the corridors of time, through belief in Jesus Christ, you and your family, your household, could be plugged into God's kingdom. So it's a big statement, a big, a big shift in the church. It's also a big statement about salvation. What this means is that salvation is by faith alone. Faith alone. Not faith in Jesus plus becoming Jewish. Not faith in, in Jesus plus circumcision. Not faith in Jesus plus a bunch of rituals that prove you're really the real deal. No. Faith in Christ alone. That's so important because it means that we don't have to tack on a bunch of works uh, to, to that simple invitation to believe in Jesus. And that very moment, we are saved. What must I do to be saved? Turn from sins, trust in Christ. That's all. Right here, crystal clear. All you need is this. You don't even need the book of Galatians. You don't need the book of Romans. You need Acts chapter 10 and you see salvation is by faith alone. It's beautiful. Even the Gentiles. Well, let me close with, with, with just two very brief encouragements. The first is this. Friends, be ready to embrace God's work wherever it's happening and with whomever it's happening. You know, that was the tension that starts to show up in Acts chapter 11. Peter comes back and starts spending time with the circumcision party. The Jew, Jewish Christians who have believed, but they're ethnically Jewish, and they're a little peeved that Peter would, would have gone to these depths. They're saying, Peter, who gave you the right to do this? Who gave you the right to baptize Jews or baptize Gentiles and invite them into God's people? And Peter said, guys, I feel that tension. I, I, I feel it, but, but guess what? If, if I would have done that, I would have been standing in the way of God, if I would have barred the Gentiles from access to, to, your, to this people, I would have been standing in God's way because what? I preached the gospel and right away they believed and they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who am I to close the door to them? Well, we have a similar situation. We are now, God's, now part of God's people and it is incumbent upon us to not stand in the way of full access, full admittance to God's kingdom on the basis of faith in Christ alone. 
And so when we see God working and doing dramatic works in secular college campuses, in the LGBT community, we don't add rules in addition to simply turning from sin to faith in Christ alone. We don't get to make rules, uh, in, in detail rules about how you act and, 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 and what you wear. The, the simplicity of the, the law of God and turning away from sin to faith in Christ is all we get to set up for admittance to his kingdom. And we can desire growth in the gospel. We can desire growth in grace. We can desire um, people to, be, to become more conversant with Reformed theology and actually believe it. But friends, this is admittance to God's kingdom. Faith in Christ alone. My final encouragement, you've already heard it. Believe. Believe in this Savior. The way is narrow But admittance is wide. So wide that anyone, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your ethnicity, uh, doesn't matter uh, what sins you've been struggling with, if you turn from those sins to faith in Jesus, come on in. Come on in. And that's the beauty of Acts chapter 10. That's the beauty of God's plan for cross-cultural, transcontinental gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your very good work of calling those who are far off to be near. You've done that with us. Lord, help us to be willing to do that with others. Lord, having been brought in on the basis of faith in Christ alone, Lord, we do pray that we would keep the door as open to the church as you have opened it. Uh, But Lord, help us to also seek to walk in maturity. And for those that come into the church, help us to not um, set the bar low, but help us to, to push for maturity and grace. We thank you for that wide open door. But how you continue to press us to grow in grace, even now. So help us to do that, especially in this area, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.